You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer here with Bart Kaler. Today, we talk to Wayne Berenger. He is the CEO of the Jaro Group. He specializes in transforming creative teams and helping CMOs within higher ed get the best out of their organizations. The subject today, the art of leadership, empowering creative teams for success. And Bart, I think that Wayne does an excellent job of instructing CMOs how to get a foundational change in their organization. Yeah, he does a great job of kind of unpacking that and, and kind of ca- working through some of the steps. And, you know, he's, uh, he's a runner. He uh, has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And so he kind of leans into some of those things as far as the way he describes the, the coaching that, that he's used to doing, and not, not only in higher ed, but also in, in Boeing and corporate settings that he has experience in. And really think he does a great job of unpacking that. I really appreciate him coming on the show and, and kind of telling us all these ideas. And it really gives you a lot to think about, you know, helping us to kind of think through ways to get things done rather than just kind of grinding through them, but to actually kind of rise above everything and kind of see a different path of, of where we can go. Yes. And even though he has a lot of experience and talks to CMOs and creative teams specifically, I think what he teaches can be effective for any leadership team. Here's our conversation with Wayne Berenger. Wayne, we are so excited to have you on the podcast. And as we ask most of our guests, since this is a learning podcast, please share something that you've learned that you would deem fun or interesting enough to share with our audience today. What have I learned? Well, first of all, it's great to be here. I guess one of the things I've learned most recently is I've been a runner all my life. And people that are built like I am, scrawny runner types, have a body type that's called ectomorph. And I have never known that before. The reason I know that now is I'm trying to put on a little bit of muscle. And what I realized is you try to do that, you put on a little muscle, and then this body type loses it in about five seconds. I have to constantly lift weights and do push-ups just to maintain. So ectomorph is my learning of the day. Well, thank you very much, although I think that most people like me probably are on the opposite end, so that is definitely a first world problem (laughs) that I would deem, but I appreciate you letting us know that. And one thing I want to say right off the bat that even though you work in the consultant field, you don't really see yourself as a consultant. You say that you are into engaged guidance. So as you introduce yourself to the audience, if you could kind of explain that as well. I used to work at Boeing. I worked at a lot of PR firms, ad agencies in my background. Led a big turnaround with a group at Boeing that had a very low employee satisfaction. It was 52% my first year. When I left, it was 90%. And through that experience, we had consultants come in as well. What we're doing today, that is deeper than a lot of the benchmarking reports that we would receive and that I've seen. And a lot of the process frameworks that a lot of consultancies send and then sort of send their clients along their way is we do what I learned 
when I climbed Mount Cameron's Rock in 2018, which is we lost our way at one moment on the mountain. All of a sudden, the guides showed up and they grabbed my backpack and they led me down to camp. So that metaphor is what we try to embrace because the change that we work on is challenging. There's no doubt. But it's also the most amazing thing when you can see the metaphorical sunrise from 19,000 feet when you reach that summit. So we take their backpacks when it when it gets toughest. Wow, that is wonderful. And that makes sense because the name of your company, I think, is a take on Mount Kilimanjaro. Wayne, you specialize in transforming creative teams. And this is me talking. I think some of the things that you teach could go into transforming leadership teams in general. But today we're going to talk about creative teams and higher ed creative teams. And if you would start out our conversation by sharing the key concepts that you teach or that you engage with your clients as you take them through this transformation. What I've seen in universities, in high tech companies, and in just about any type of entrepreneur that we've worked with is that so many of them today, and COVID has accelerated this, so this post-COVID sort of area, has accelerated an onslaught of projects in the creative and communications field that just is two or three X what it was in 2019. The level of strategic input for those projects has decreased either from the requester to the team or just the team's ability to have enough time to create a strategic insight as opposed to just get the project done and the, and the deadline is yesterday in a lot of cases. Those two things combined with avalanches of email, uh, meeting calendars that are full for most of the week, we see teams today that need to function differently that are functioning the way they did 10 years ago. Try to help them get over that sort of fear of, gosh, that sounds like a lot. How in the world do you move your team in that direction? Yeah, it seems to me like there's a that, oh, no, you know, what have I gotten myself into? Because I'm sure everybody thinks, oh, you know, well, we'll just do that when we slow down. Well, the reality is nobody ever slows down. And uh, it, ten, it tends to speed up, if, if nothing else. And so there's teams that are doing more than they did 10 years ago with less people than they had 10 years ago, with less budgets than they had 10 years ago. And so the idea for them to even slow down, to even – you know, pop their head up to kind of look at the landscape is almost impossible. So I, I guess part of it is how do you even get, um, whether it's the, the leaders or the influencers who say, hey, uncle, we need some help here. How do you even get them to kind of get that mindset to kind of open up to that? Because I, I mean, I know my own habit is, you know, what well, I'm just going to put my head down and keep, keep grunting it out. And whether even that's, you know, even if if that's not the right thing to do, it just seems easier than the alternative. So where do you even start? Yeah, I, I think that it's easier. It seems easier than the alternative because that's what we know how to do. Right. Right. We're conditioned to just grind it out. From from how old of an age do we get told and groomed mostly maybe by our dads, but by our parents and our communities that that's what you do. You, the American way, hard work, you grind it out. The way that people come to find a different path, but there's an old phrase that what got you here is not going to get you there. Gosh, I wish there was another way. Well, there is. And there's actually a roadmap for that. And what does that roadmap look like? I mean, that's I'm sure that's one of the first things people say is that, hey, you know, okay, now I know I've got to do this. You're right. What got me here isn't going to get me across the finish line. But what's that going to look like? And, and, and I guess in practical terms, what kind of time is I am I investing in this? Because it, boy, it feels to me like I'm going to spend all summer working on this. It's five steps. But underneath those five steps, people have to be willing to relook really at how they spend their day 
at work and optimize that so that they can put the time into this effort to make it work. Because I'm our team at Boeing was 300. There was a lot of meetings on my calendar, a lot of email every day, just like everybody else. And I quickly learned that if I acted the way I always had, that 52% employee satisfaction was not just stay the same, but go down. When I learned that, when I changed how I looked at my role, everything else really took off. And it didn't happen overnight, it took a couple of years, uh, but it's really a function of what amount of time can you put into it. Right. Sounds like it starts with almost like a mindset and approach to the whole thing. And I'm guessing that once you kind of get the group to kind of start to look and see and vision in the same direction, you know, what comes after that? I mean, I'm sure you've got some strategies and some structural type things. What? Tell me about that. Yeah, the big thing that we try to do once we get that time and that mindset and that individual leader's perspective that the organization will not change until I change, right? Because you can look at sports as a great example. All sports teams take on the persona of their coach. And that's why teams with great players, with a coach that's not getting through to them, don't always perform the way that they're expected or that they want to. So trying to get the leader to understand that there's no shame in their ability to pivot it's really awesomeness if they're able to kind of see a bigger picture and work a slightly different or maybe a significantly different way so that they can observe their team with a, a different, more clear mindset and take the steps so that they will all get to that 90% employee satisfaction because everybody wants to be on a winning team. And I'm guessing that once that you've got the coach on board and they, they're kind of stepping up and, and, and casting that vision and people are getting behind them, that's probably when you start looking at those plays. You know, what, what's that organizational strategy? How do you kind of start moving the, the people around on the, on the court to kind of keep going with the sports analogy to, to kind of get them to, you know, execute at their, at their top performance? We see this a lot in higher ed. A lot of people that we speak with today in higher ed communications and marketing teams are telling us that they feel detached from the mission that they came to work mm. at their university. A lot of that is hyper-exaggerated since COVID, but it's the same inputs that we talked about a minute ago. Far more work or far tighter deadlines, rather, far fewer employees. So when those stresses happen, what we see is groups lose their way. They lose their North Star. Mm. They just, they're in that grind that we talked about part earlier. Well, it's in my email, it's on my calendar. I gotta get it done even though I'm not having any fun. The first step is what is our North Star as a higher ed communications team? Is it to take orders from all the administration? Or is it to work with the administration to create a strategic insight team that can deliver and help improve the enrollment cliff and all the other elements and issues that as a marketing and comps team, we're trying to help solve for our universities. That's the first step is that North Star articulation, clarity, and then buy-in so that everybody understands, okay, we used to be XYZ in university communications or marketing. But now we're going to be ABC. And ABC looks like this. We have the buy-in of the administration, of our peer set, and the folks down and in. That's the first step. And it is extremely powerful when people can align around a common goal. But we don't often take the time to do that. And I'm guessing that even through that, you know, once that starts to come and, and coalesce around, you know, those goals and those strategies, that's only when you start looking at, you know, restructuring the team or evaluating the talent. I mean, I'm guessing without that North Star, you can't get to those deeper levels of even getting down to process and tools to really help, you know, turn the ship, if you will, because, I mean, as soon as you turn the ship and, you know, you and your group leave without that North Star, everybody just goes back to the habits they've always done. 
even midstream, people tend to go back to habits, right? That's one reason that you want to have engaged, objective coaches, clients, folks helping you is because, you know, I talked about being an ectomorph and lifting weights and stuff. Sometimes I miss days in the gym or or weeks and I need my coach to get me back in there sometimes, right? So it's absolutely true that once you get that North Star, everybody on the team gets excited about that. It's what everybody wants. Whatever the articulation is, is usually to be a winning team. Mm -hmm. So people get excited. And when people get excited, that just brings everyone else up. We often get calls, and I've seen it innumerable times, where an organization will call and say, hey, we need a new workflow management technology tool, or we need a new workflow management process. And I've seen a lot of groups that have implemented a tool or a process, quote unquote, implemented. And six months later, the tool is literally on the shelf. Mm It maybe has 20% uptake and utilization. And the reason is because the things upstream from that tool implementation have not been worked out. So for us, it's North Star. What's your strategy? Org structure. How does your org structure without people's names, but what roles do you need to fulfill that strategy? And then talent is next. What are the talent skill sets and actual humans, people that are the best people to fill those roles? Then that talent group sets the process and then that process defines the tools that you need. And that's the formula that we go through. I like that because it's a combination of, uh, you know, I hear a lot of Covey in there with the urgent and the, you know, and the important, I hear a lot of things in there, you know, with, uh, with, with, uh, you know, Jim Collins and, you know, who sits on the right seat on the bus. We hear so much of that. And I think in some ways it almost becomes a little bit of, you know, business, uh, you know, uh, superstition or whatever. But I think having those coaches to actually, you know, guide you through that, maybe folklore is a better word for it, but somebody to guide you through all that, the things that we know, just like, I know I should go to the gym every day. I know I should lift weights. I know I should do cardio, but do I have that discipline within myself? So I think that's great information. Wayne, as you took us through your key concepts, you alluded to a little bit to some higher ed specific scenarios. Would like to know, as we've gone through all of the key concepts, if you can give us some more things that are specifically seen in higher ed environments. I have seen, particularly in the last three years, that in the higher ed arena, it has been tougher for leaders to lead. And what that has done is caused them, in my observation, to pull back on leading to try to be safer. We talk about a continuum of leadership that on one end of the continuum is caretaking. People first. I want to make my people happy. I want to make sure that, you know, they're getting some counterweight to all the stress and chaos. On the other end of the continuum is performance. And this is where in higher ed, I see there's room for growth and improvement, right? What are the metrics that we're using that means performance? How do we balance those performance metrics? Meaning how do we get the most performance out of our team? without being the dictatorial, you know, theory X sort of leader of 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're seeing a lot of leaders sort of default to the extreme end of the caretaking. And that's actually just as damaging to a team culture. You're more, you're less disliked if you do that, but you're no less ineffective or you're no more effective because you're, you're skewing so far to the caretaking. So in higher ed, I see that there's more of a need to move closer to the performance side without losing the humanity because it's not about being theory X again. 
it reminds me a little bit of when you know when you're on the flight and they talk about the you know when the oxygen masks are going to drop down and they talk about you know putting your mask on first to help everyone else it goes a little bit with that because if you're too busy caretaking everybody else and you're you know doing that over you know a vision or over you know what you need to be doing from a courageous leadership and honestly I don't know if you've seen this Wayne but I've seen this sometimes where it's a whole lot easier to be a caretaker and, and not have to have the courageous leadership to make hard decisions or make the, you know, uh, go out on a limb about something or to, uh, you know, to challenge leadership on something that they might be thinking that is just not going to work. That takes courageous leadership. And it's what I'm hearing you say is that we need a lot more of that in higher ed and, and less of the, well, let's just go over and, and let's just, you know, lick our wounds a little bit and, and go back and forth on that. So I appreciate you saying that. I think that's a really good point. Thank you. I've made all the mistakes in this arena, all of them that you can probably possibly make. Uh, and what I would relate it to is, you know, everyone can hear my raspy voice and my loud breathing. I've got a pretty small airway. It's about 50% of most people. I've had it all my life. I didn't need to climb Kilimanjaro. I didn't need to prove anything. I didn't do it to prove that like, I was my airway could do this. I just did it because it seemed awesome and I had the invitation and I saw a roadmap. And I got scared because I was like, I... How can somebody like me do this? And I think that's what a lot of people get faced with when they come to the question of, should I actually lean in and do the hard extra work? And it is hard extra work to bring my team to the next level. I am living proof that if a guy with half an airway can climb to 19,000 feet in the middle of Africa and not die like he was scared of, we can make more change in higher ed, move those teams up the performance ladder for sure. And I talked a little bit, and maybe you can kind of unpack it a little bit for us as well, of that courageous leadership of having to, you know, be the director of marketing or the chief marketing officer who needs to confront, you know, the board or the president on some of the thinking that, hey, you know, somebody says we just need more billboards. Uh, you know, that's that's a conversation that a lot of times is a little bit of a f friction because, I mean, marketing team might say, hey, we need more leads. You know, administration saying we need more brand awareness. There's, I mean, there's tension in that anywhere you go. But sometimes, and I, that's a poor choice of, of an illustration, but I think everybody understands sometimes confrontation needs to happen at that leadership level and, and also from faculty. I mean, that's one of the unique aspects of, of higher ed that's different sometimes in corporate America is you've got so many stakeholders that all have an opinion. I mean, how, how do you kind of help with that in, in, the, in the midst of all this? Yeah, great question. And and absolutely have seen what you described that the number, not just of stakeholders, but of stakeholders with elevated degrees and elevated positions across innumerable departments and colleges in a university makes it very difficult. What we try to help our leaders do is build a coalition of people who are truly on board and it starts one by one. So a lot of times, and I, I made this mistake, you work for a month on a 50 slide PowerPoint deck and you go present it to everyone and expect that they're all gonna magically go, oh yeah, finally that's the way. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. No. I've been laughed out of conference rooms, boardrooms doing that. So I know that it's it's a guerrilla person by person conversation because Bart, the kinds of things you were talking about, do we need leads, do we need branding? All those people with opinions, probably haven't ever executed it right and so the confrontation can get defensive pretty quickly because when we're not sure but we're staunch on our opinion boy that brings everyone's defenses out you know tenfold and so those one-to-one -one opportunities to converse to connect to listen and then advise are the real ways that that starts and it doesn't have to be 
one person a month, right? It can, it can, it can have a, a quick pace, mm-hmm. but you have to start with that connection. Yeah, and I think that's so critical. And I know we talked about this in the pre-conversation is that when you have that trust and you build that trust, so many times that's where that importance of those strategic advisory roles for the creative teams. I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get creativity done rather than having an in-house agency, an in-house team. But I think what those in-house teams, what we, what our responsibility as higher ed marketers is, is to come to the table having that strategic mindset, having that mission-centered understanding of the institution and being able to be an advisory role for those decision makers, and whether it's budget, whether it's timing, whatever it might be, that's where we bring that strategic role to the, to the point that we can really add value to everything. And I think that that's, I mean, who doesn't like to have themselves be seen as an expert? That's what helps the, the, the job satisfaction go up is that people want to make a difference. And I think that when we're just pumping things out each week and making it look prettier and, and, uh, and, and do it by Monday, you know, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't give the same satisfaction. It's a two way street, a hundred percent, completely on board with what you're saying. The administrators, the, the requesters, the clients, if you will, I think they want to have advisors from the communications and creative team that are helping them think. As advisors, we have to help them think. And we can't just come at it from a creative perspective. It has to be from the perspective of that requester. What's the business focus? How do we connect with that and then translate that into creative and comms that actually works? I love everything that we've talked about today, Wayne. Would like to know as we bring the episode to a close, if you would give us a piece of advice that you think a listener could utilize soon after hearing and implementing on their creative team. You know, as, as we've talked through the kind of the steps and the, and the macro issues and things like that, what I always tell folks, and, and I've talked to conferences about these three concepts before, if you want to make any change, if you want to lift weights or run or change an organization, the first thing you have to do is understand your own superpowers and the associated kryptonite with those superpowers, right? So you have traits, we all have traits, and those traits uh, in the best of times are our superpowers, but left unchecked, if those traits are overexpressed, they become our kryptonite too, right now, is write down, what are your superpowers? What are your kryptonites? What are your traits that create both? Number two, do you have a mindset and does your team have a mindset of either scarcity or abundance? Are you always concerned, afraid of what might happen? Or do you have a can-do, we-can-overcome, sort of embrace-focused mindset? If you write that down, write down the traits under each one and see where is your organization on that continuum. And then the third thing is if you want to make change, you have to put in the time. We cannot be scared of time. We have to be able to look at our calendars and our emails and the way that we're conditioned to work and go, there's got to be a better way and I'm going to find it. I say the third thing is go look at your calendar and rank your meetings on your calendar, one, two, and three. One is, I must be in this meeting. I am a contributor and I'm critical. Two is, I'm going to go to this meeting and listen, I probably should pay attention. I might contribute once. And then three, every meeting where you see where you go, you multitask, you're not sure what the meeting was about when you hang up and you're really not sure that you should ever go to one of those again, that's a three. If you rank all your meetings, take away all the threes and don't go to those anymore. And then the twos, go to half of them. And then double down on those ones. You'll have more free time. You'll be more efficient and more effective and then be able to see where you can take your organization from there. I don't know if you've heard my pen to paper as you were describing that, but so useful, not (laughs) only for the CMOs and the CMO types that you uh, 
engage and consult with, but for folks like me. So, Wayne, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom that you shared today. For those who would like to learn more and to contact you after hearing you on the podcast, how can they best reach you? Jaro.win, W-I-N, and on LinkedIn. And uh, I really appreciate, Bart, and sure your questions and the opportunity to chat with you. We appreciate you, and we'll make sure we get that information into the show notes as we release the podcast. Bart, what are your thoughts before we end our show today? Well, I think Wayne's done a great job of kind of outlining some of the pain points of a lot of teams in higher education. So, Wayne, thanks so much for being on the on the show. I think that a lot of what he talked about, just the idea of being able to kind of uh, take, a, take a step back for a second and just kind of look at the mindset and the approach that you have. I mean, as I talked about at the beginning, our human nature is just to kind of buckle down, grit our teeth, and just kind of suck it up and do it. And that's not going to get us to where we need to go. And I don't, I don't really care if it's your, if it's the work that you're doing at the higher education level or even your personal life. I think that sometimes we, we kind of have this, like I think you said, it was kind of this American attitude of just kind of we're just going to get through it and get it done. And I, and I think that we need to kind of take a pause sometimes and, and, and kind of step back and look at that. I really like, too, the fact that, you know, when you do this change, it's going to start with the mindset, but then you've got to have some help doing that. Um, you know, going back to the idea of exercise or diet, having a coach alongside. And I think, uh, I think Wayne's did a good job of, of kind of illustrating that. And I really appreciated what he said, too, about just kind of putting in the reps, you know, putting in the time, putting in the reps. I mean, however you want to put it. I mean, not advocating a hundred hours worth of weeks. I, I appreciate him saying that, but you know, sometimes I've even looked at my own personal schedule that, you know what, sometimes I, I, I kind of get a little bit crabby about my schedule and, and the meeting I did was a, a great one that, that I'm going to try to implement, but also just kind of looking at it and saying, you know what, there's a lot of times that I just kind of, you know, mindlessly flip through LinkedIn for a little bit just to kind of see what's going on or, uh, you, you, there's ways that I could be a little bit more disciplined in my time. And I think that's what a lot of times what coaches do, what, what that, you know, systems often do. And so really I've taken away some, some good ideas for myself here today, Wayne. And, and I really appreciate you coming on the show and tell, tell us a little bit about some of your strategies. Awesome. I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Bart, you always do an excellent job of giving a synopsis of what we heard. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. We'd also like to express a thank you to our producer, Rob Conlon, at Westport Studios, who makes us sound and look good every week. And, of course, our sponsors, Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and Ring Digital, providing lift and yield increases through precisely targeted digital ads that accurately follow your enrollment funnel lists. On behalf of our guest, Wayne, Bart, and myself, thank you for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.